0: This is Joel Kamm, author of The Fun Formula, How Curiosity, Risk-Taking, and Serendipity Can Revolutionize How You Work. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails.
1: Hello, and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host... Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at Douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn, where we can chat. Joel Calm, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you?
0: Good day, Mr. Burdett. Nice to hear from you. I'm well.
1: That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Of course, I've been stalking you on social media as I have been for years, so I, I knew that you were, you were in good health. What is going on in your quarantined world?
0: Uh, well, you know, quarantine world. It's so funny to even say that. My life consists of two states of being, and those two states of being are on the road somewhere in the world doing what I do, whether it's speaking or attending an event or you know, uh, personal travels, networking, whatever. I'm either somewhere or I'm home in Denver. Self quarantined. I really, I, you know, I have a beautiful apartment here. I, I love Denver, but I don't really go out a ton when I'm home anyway, because I do so much traveling. So really this period, you know, from this last three months has just been an extended not traveling period for me. And uh, I've used it to be super productive and continue to to do so. Um, I've been very happy here in my space and uh, getting stuff done.
1: Cool. Well, Last week I published episode 283, and I want to make sure everyone knows who, who we're talking to here. So you were a very early supporter of the Marketing Book Podcast, and I'll always appreciate that. You were on episode 34 hmm. in September of 2015. That's when we talked about Twitter Power 3.0, How to Dominate Your Market One Tweet at a Time, which you co-authored with Dave Taylor. Yeah. And as I said at the time, that was a really good content marketing book that you snuck into a book about Twitter. Hmm. (laughs) I saw what you did there. And then you came back uh, uh, on episode 179 and that was June, 2018. So two years ago. And that's when we talked about the fun formula, how curiosity risk-taking and serendipity can revolutionize how you work. And that one has really taken hold in my head because I had never thought of the ideas in there, and we could talk about those, but they really stuck. So for listeners who are new to the Marketing Book Podcast, tell them who you are and all the stuff you do. All of it? (laughs) You seem like the busiest guy in the world. Well,
0: but it's because I follow the fun formula. I make it look easy because I focus on those things that I'm particularly curious about um you know i i take some risks they're usually big risks uh, in hopes that you know something big will happen as a result sometimes it actually does and and i trust the process you know i i try to make the right moves at the right time with the right emails and the right phone calls cuz i'm not a fan of working hard. I think the whole hustle and grind mentality is is super dangerous uh personally and professionally and uh, you know so for me looking busy just means I might be showing up at the right places but I'm actually <laughs> I work less I think than anybody I know in terms of, you know, what most people think of is work. I do a lot of play. And I have been since, um, well, my whole life, I suppose, but my internet career spans back to 1995, when I launched my first website. But my online world spans back to 1980, when I bought my first computer 40 years ago, and was dialing into the online world pre-internet when we had bulletin board, services. And so this has just been the story of my life. And what I'm doing now is just, you know, the next logical progression, whether, uh, you know, it's writing books or speaking or teaching or affiliate marketing, social media marketing, um, creating products and services, regardless, podcasting, video, live video, it's all just a mix of what I find interesting at any given moment in my life. And, and right now that interest is really leaning heavily towards the cryptocurrency and blockchain world.
1: Mm -hmm. And when you take interest in something, I pay attention. I think a lot of people do. And that's in part, what what does it for me is that you wrote uh, one of the, was it the AdSense code? Yeah. The AdSense code, Mm -hmm. what Google never told you about making money. In other words, you were one of the first ones to really see how that was all working fast forward to a few years ago you were talking a lot about live video and so i started following you very closely then because it was like no wait a minute he really thinks this is (laughs) this is something so i better pay attention just like uh, uh, cryptocurrency but i I would want to remind folks you were also a reality tv host right
0: uh, yeah, I did. I hosted and produced the world's first competitive internet reality show called "The Next Internet Millionaire." Back in 2007, um, I was inspired by then um, only billionaire and reality show host Donald Trump, you know, by The Apprentice, and I was inspired by the rise of YouTube. I saw the future of video, and uh, and I wanted to be the first one to emulate that in a really um, high level reality show online. And so we produced a full 13 uh, full length episodes. In fact, it's funny you bring that up because right now I've actually now that um, Amazon has their prime video um, central, they allow you to upload stuff and try to get it into prime video. And uh, I've actually been working on that. Over the past couple of weeks getting, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, I, I created this thing and people still ask me about it. What if I could get it on Amazon Prime? Oh. So I'm in the process of getting the, uh, the first episode um, reviewed. And once what you have to do is you have to get um, captions made in order to make that a reality. So I'm like, oh, well, let's see if I can do this. So I've uploaded the first episode, I did the captions. And as of this recording, which is June 17th, it's uh, it's in review right now. And so, once they approve that, I'll go and get the other 12 episodes all captioned and uploaded so people will be able to go enjoy the whole series, dated though it is a little bit, um, but it's still uh, highly entertaining. And for uh, a homegrown production like we did, um, it r- holds up remarkably today.
1: And one of the contestants was a former guest on the Marketing Book podcast, Perry Marshall, author of the 8020.
0: So Perry wasn't actually a contestant. He was a teacher.
1: Oh, Um, okay.
0: Yeah, we auditioned a lot of contestants for the show, and we brought them in from uh, U.S., Canada, Costa Rica, the U.K., and then I brought in 12 teachers. Um, Each one would teach the contestants that were still in the competition each day, and Perry Marshall taught um, on copywriting, I believe, on episode 11. Uh, what's really interesting about that, Doug, is that I, I invited all these different teachers and they're all still at it today. You know, 13 years later, uh, Armin Morin, Mark Joyner, Ray Edwards, uh, you know, and the, the list goes on. Mike Philsame. these people that were Internet marketing legends at the time, um, they're all still going at it today, and their name and their brand has uh, only grown. So I chose wisely.
1: Mm, yes. Well, either that or everyone's still enjoying it very much and uh, still uh, trying to stay ahead of it. And uh, I remember uh, in your bio, it described you as you know various things, uh, professional speaker and marketing strategist, uh, technologist, futurist, and so on. But it also said you were an eternal twelve-year-old, mm-hmm. and again, Joel Com, it, it just spoke to me because as I like to say, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever, which is sort of my life's uh, mission statement. And I want you to all those accomplishments you've you've had, and you know, and continue to have. That's great, Joel Com. But I want to talk about what I think is the most important one of the most important things you've ever produced, and it's on my iphone right now and it's very likely to be mentioned on your epitaph Mm. what is that yeah Yeah.
0: so what you're saying is my tombstone might say i farted is that (laughs) is that kind of what you're you're going at here Ah,
1: you said farted
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Um, it's funny out of all the things that I've done in my career, people know me for a lot of different things. Some say, Oh, you were, you know, you created worldvillage.com. I've got people going back almost 25 years that remember me from that site. I've got others saying, Oh, you made Yahoo games. Others are like, you're the AdSense guy, or you're the Twitter guy, or you're the, you know, the blockchain, uh, the the crypto podcast guy. And then there's, uh, you know, a group of people are like, you're the Ifart guy. And that is true. I created and marketed the uh, the now world infamous iFart mobile app, uh, launched in December 2008, uh, hit number one in the world in the iTunes App Store, and still to this day sells like clockwork every day. And we can only guess that you know billions of fart sounds have been played out of this novelty app. There it is. Let it rip. Yep. So that was ability. just one.
1: I have it on. I'm feeling lucky. So it just brings up a different one. And it was I turned it on today. It said uh, you've added something uh, with the different uh, candidates voices or something like that.
0: Uh, well, that was actually in 2016. We oh, added okay. the um, the political fart pack. So we asso- associated it's only
1: 99 cents.
0: Yeah, for the all of them there's like 50 or 60 farts in the whole thing. There's a movie fart pack, there's uh, a music fart pack. There's all these different themes. They're hilarious. They're still they're still funny and um yeah, I'm I'm glad I did it. And if it's on my tombstone then uh, so be it.
1: Well, you know, that scene from Ferris Bueller uh, Joel Kahn, you're my hero. Now, I do want <laughs> you to know that I have opened this since the 2016 election. I don't know. Maybe it was uh, – I don't know why it, it brought that up because I found that – well, it works for me on several different ways. But if we're all you know in quarantine, we're all uh, maybe in the TV room and there's something I particularly want to watch, um, I found that I, I get a lot of space when I just start doing this. Now, you know, it, it comes at a cost. They don't want to talk to me. But that's why I'm doing this daily series. You see, Joel, you're engaged in Doug Daycare right now. And my family is eternally grateful to you for that. So, Joel, I want to ask you about your opinion on all of this quarantine. You said, you know, it's kind of a funny word there, but you have taken sort of a healthy, skeptical view of a lot of this.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I've just learned to question everything. I feel like um, we are constantly and consistently being told a story uh, by the powers that be, whether they are the politicians or the media. Um, We have been conditioned to automatically put our trust in what people are telling us. But when you just go down the rabbit hole a little bit, you begin to discover that the experts are really so-called experts. And they're wrong so often as to say, you know, what they've put out there isn't necessarily science, but a best guess. And when you discover that it is uh, patently obvious and demonstrable that the media lies and and twists stories and puts out a narrative that they want people to believe again and again, for whatever their motivations are, you realize that we're being told a story, but we're not being told the story. So I think having a healthy skepticism towards what's being put out there is is really wise. I know a lot of very smart people Um, And by smart, I mean, degreed people, uh, eloquent, you know, uh, intelligent in their knowledge that really have the discernment of a rock. Um, And I don't mean a rock the country, I mean, like a stone that they just they don't question anything they believe whatever's being told to them and i'm just i don't think like that i i think for myself and whenever you know i see a headline or a story i i always ask the question okay that's what they're saying what is what's the truth here what's actually being said what is what is a narrative that, you know, is being presented to us with adjectives and opinion and what is hard facts? And so, um, y- you know, you can't blame some of us for being incredibly skeptical about the whole uh, the virus. Not that the virus isn't real, not that people aren't dying, but with the messaging that's been put out, of course, the latest one being about masks. Oh, yeah. Um, and, of wearing face masks when there's plenty of evidence to the contrary that says as long as you keep your distance from others and don't spend five to ten minutes breathing in their face that you're not at risk for transmission even if you're asymptomatic Uh, it's it's just I think it's an attempt to control people to instill fear um, to see what happens when people allow their their freedoms to be willingly handed over. Um, Again, I'm not saying there's a big diabolical plan behind all this. I'm not saying there isn't. I'm just saying something doesn't smell right. And it wasn't because I farted.
1: (laughs) right. We can count on that. Well, do you think that, uh, well, I guess here's another question. Are you concerned about how much control uh, the authorities were able to exert so quickly?
0: Oh, it's definitely concerning. I mean, what we had was house arrest, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I I still went for walks and Denver, you know, shut down a bunch of stuff. It wasn't quite as bad as some other regions. So if I wanted to go out, I still went out, but there was nowhere to go except for the store. Apparently, you can't transmit coronavirus at a Walmart where everybody's gathering, um, you know, so – I guess for whatever reason, COVID nineteen stayed outside of Walmart and, and Target, and um, you know the the big stores. Uh, whereas all the mom and pop stores, that's where COVID congregated, and so you couldn't have people, you know, at, at a local shop um, practicing safe social distancing, or at a local restaurant practicing so safe so safe social distancing, or anywhere else. But well, Walmart's, you know, you were immune if you were there. So um, forgive me or don't forgive me if I'm going to call BS.
1: Well, do you think or what do you have any sense of what might stick in terms of all these changes that are going on going forward? Because it seems like this has been a real accelerant for a lot of change that's happening. But I don't know what uh, what's what's going to come back, particularly as it relates to uh, businesses. I think
0: fear is what will stick, right? In those that were readily compliant. Uh, and let me be clear. Let me be perfectly clear. Sound not like a politician. Um, and I'm not, and I never will be. The virus is real. Nobody's disputing that mm. the virus is real. Nobody's disputing. I mean, I know several people that got very ill. From the virus, they survive, they push through. You know, it was like a really, really bad flu, and there's Mm -hmm. others that are dying from it. Um, I I don't trust that the numbers that we're getting as far as actual COVID deaths are real. Heck, even Dr. Burks said that 25% probably shouldn't have been called COVID deaths. You know, if you.
1: Oh, because they died of something else, but they also had
0: COVID but they also had COVID and, and a bunch of them weren't even tested when they died and they called it COVID anyway. Uh, but the majority were, you know, our most vulnerable, uh, are our most vulnerable elderly, those with other, um, you know, pre uh, pre-existing conditions. And, uh, you know, but there's, if somebody died from cancer and they had COVID, they're sa- they're saying they died from COVID. Hello, people wake up. That's not how any of this works, but that's what they've been telling you. And, you know, I'm hoping I'm hoping. I'm hopeful. Uh, my my faith in um, in human beings. Well, you're a very optimistic person. I, I try to be. I try to assume the best about people, and in, in spite of the ridiculous grief that I get online from others, um, I just think that there's other forces at work here, and. I think some of it does have to do, maybe a lot of it has to do with politics. Not that the virus itself was political, but that uh, how it was used by those seeking to um, be in power could have affected how we handled this, uh, the reaction to the virus.
1: Mm -hmm. What kind of grief do you get? That kind of surprises me. Oh gosh. Is it from people who are related to others who own the iFart app? Is that, have you been hearing from my family?
0: I I had the gall, like 50% of the country, to vote for Donald Trump for president. And so immediately that makes me a racist, bigot, homophobe, and xenophobe, and every other, you know, epithet under the book from people that just have no idea what they're talking about. And in some of people, people have been really vile, vile. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I was brought up to be kind to other people and to accept people in my world that believe differently than me. I don't care what your skin color is, your nationality, or what religion you practice. I definitely don't care what your sexual orientation is, Which at all. But, um, and so I'm like, live and let live, you know, I mean, this is America. We have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't want to get in your way of that, but boy, there are people out there that tell you if you think this way, you barely have a right to breathe. And I have been the subject, uh, and I don't want to say victim because I don't like victim mentality. Uh, but legally speaking, the victim of some serious abuse by people that I considered friends mm-hmm. that totally went off the rails. Like there's some sort of mental illness that took over. You know, I, I didn't vote for President Obama. I don't think he did a particularly good job. I think that he ended up dividing our country more than uniting us, which is a real shame because I think there was a squandered opportunity. But I never said he's not my president. Well, of course, he's, he's my president. If I'm an American citizen, he's my president. And I, I, you know, when he was doing things I disagreed with, sometimes I would verbalize it, but I would never attack others especially people that I had relationships with and, and call them names for believing otherwise. Well, the you know, it's the other side of the coin now and the amount of abuse that conservatives have faced, um, that uh, people of, of faith have faced, uh, you know, is people that are, are patriots to the country, people that like the, the, you know, whether or not Trump is a complete, you know, buffoon in the things he says or his mannerisms. I look at what people actually do not what they say. And up until the virus, our country was, we were prospering like we haven't in decades. It was indisputable. The economy was booming. And I'm a fan of that. I just, I think uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. So I don't understand the bizarre rage that has gotten into people's, not just their minds, but their hearts. It's like, we're seeing so much soul sickness as a result of these past few years. And I'm more concerned about um, how we recover from that than what the world looks like post COVID.
1: Mm. Well, Joel, I appreciate your candor there. And uh, regardless of uh, what you say, I'm sure I'm going to catch a rash of shit just for allowing you to say it. Oh yeah. (laughs) But see that
0: it isn't that a perfect reflection of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, you're gonna catch a rash of of whatever because of something you let somebody else say. To you know, if you're that person, then that's ta- This is the soul sickness I'm looking at. Uh, this is not hate speech. This is an opinion. This is not condemning any persons or group of people for who they are, where they're from, what they believe. This is saying, hey, let's all respect one another. If your response to that is anger and hate, then you have a real issue. I would do some soul searching and go, wait, where does this come from? What am I believing about what he's saying that is causing me to react this way? Is there a chance that I'm missing something? Have I been wrong? And boy, that is a tough question. I mean, I you know, we're both old enough to have made mistakes and look back at what we thought previously or what we Mm -hmm. did previously and go, wow, I was wrong. Now there's some people that don't have the humility to ever do that. Right. (laughs) Right. But you know, for those, you and me, we're just regular dudes, right? And I don't care about what we've actually accomplished in business. That's just, that's just an extension of who we are. But what's really important is who we are. And if at our core, we aren't willing to look at our mistakes um, and reevaluate our beliefs, then we're we're weak individuals. Um, and I think my strength has come from being able to admit my faults and where I was wrong. And it, it takes a big person to um, self reflect. And I, I aspire to be that person. I I fall short of it many times. But the older I get, the slower of tongue that I attempt to be, the more accepting of others I, I seek to be, and uh, the more at peace with myself and my God, you know, that that I, I desire to be.
1: Yes, and I can remember at the Inbound Conference a few years ago, it might have been the 2014 one, and I can't remember. I, I met you there. Uh, it might not have been that year, but you gave a talk, and you were... Just unbelievably uh, candid about uh, your marriage. It was uh, you were talking about you know the the trajectory of your life and and what happened. and yeah. it seemed like that looking back was clearly a precursor to your book about the fun formula. You were You were starting to reflect a lot at that point.
0: Yeah. You know, when you go through difficult, challenging times in life, I think it does one of two things to you. Uh, You know, when you're being crushed, um, you either stay crushed or you become stronger as a result of it. Some people give up and they throw in the towel. Um, And I don't know what it is that's within a person that, you know, makes it so you're going to go one way or the other. I don't know if it's DNA. I don't know if it's your personal resolve. I really, I don't know if it's the circle of support you have around you, which certainly is always a good thing. But uh, you know, when I was going through my separation and divorce, I did a lot of self-reflection talk about, you know, discovering areas where you were wrong. Wow. I, you know, my, uh, my kimono was open and it, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty you know and i had to come to terms with um my role in the the failure of my marriage and um it was really hard but as a result i see the world differently i see myself differently i'm i'm a uh, more satisfied human being you know today than i was in in my previous life um hopefully i've learned from my mistakes and you know there's new mistakes to make why go make the same ones you know, all over again. And um, so, I think that answers the question, maybe.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. You know, there's been a number of books I've read that have made me better understand uh, the news media, particularly television news in terms of their motivations, a variety of books that have been on the show. And that's why, you know, some years ago, I, I really stopped watching any kind of television news because I found out that I don't know why it's never occurred to me because I was never paying much attention, I guess, but they're really trying to incite a um, visceral reaction like hatred or anger or uh, fear or something like that. So that you'll s- keep watching uh, through the TV commercials. Yeah. yeah, I was, You're I was not wrong. yeah, I was talking to um, in the same series, I think it was Joey Coleman who you probably have run into on the speed. Yeah, yeah. I've met Joey. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that, uh, yep, same for him. He says he never watches television news because he's keen as to what they're they're doing. That he says the only media he re- gets is is what he reads, and he in fact tries to read uh, half of his media from outside the the country, you know, the United States because we're in the United States, but whatever country someone's in. H- how does the skeptical uh, person Joel Com uh, find out the news? What what do you do? What do you avoid? Uh,
0: boy, I do avoid mainstream media. Uh, look, they're all owned by just a handful of
1: media. <laughs> That's companies. right. Yeah.
0: They all put the same message out there. In fact, there's videos out there on YouTube that show um, like 50 local networks all reading from the same script. So if you wanted to deliver a Pravda-like narrative, uh, which, you know, for those who don't know, Pravda was the, the Russian state media during the Cold War era, during the USSR era, and Pravda was known for basically putting out propaganda. You know, it's, it's a message that they want the people to believe. It's the same thing that, um, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un does in North Korea. It's the same thing that the Chinese leadership do and that, you know, why they ban outside sites from, you know, why there is no Twitter in China. Because, heaven forbid, people should be able to have a conversation and share thoughts that are not, um, you know, that question what the state is putting out there and it's unfortunate but you know when when Trump says that the mainstream media is fake news he's accurate it's not it's it's not a matter of opinion it's demonstrable i can point you to dozens and dozens of big stories that the media reported as news that it was discovered that not only were they way off base but they they twisted and turned it to a certain narrative, it's not even a question anymore, which is why people trust news very little. Uh, you know, and um, CNN is definitely one of the worst offenders, but even Fox is an offender. The New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Chicago Tribune, Denver Post, NBC, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, CNBC, PBS—you name it. The, you know, look—if you want to get people to think a certain way, if you want to get the masses to believe something's true, you get on the same page with what you're sharing, which is why for three years, the masses of people believed that Trump somehow colluded with the Russians over the election. You don't hear anything about that anymore. Why not? Well, because it's been debunked. They can't talk about it anymore because it's been debunked. There was no, It was a nothing burger. But Yet these same people will still go to the same sources that lied to them for three years. They have proof that they lied. Oh, it's a big bombshell. Here it comes. This is the end. Again and again, night after night after night. And you're still listening to them. You're still trusting the, quote, most trusted name in news. What is wrong with you?
1: Well, I think there are uh, people who listen to whatever viewpoint they're addicted to whatever chemicals it is that that news is uh, is releasing you know like i said earlier that whatever that that reaction is that they're 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 fueled by it or they're addicted to it i guess but here's the thing a lot of what we've got today with news
0: is not traditional journalism right traditional journalism seeks to report the facts who what when where why how this is the foundation of journalism who are the parties involved? What did they do? Where did they do it? When did it happen? And it, without the adjectives, right? Uh, with without embellishing with personal narrative. See, there is news that is hard facts that you hardly see, and then there is editorializing. A lot of people, when they turn on the news, don't know the difference between Anderson Cooper and the twenty four hour news cycle. Right. When there's a person behind a desk trying to share the who, what, when, where, why, how and when Anderson Cooper talks, they think because Anderson Cooper is on CNN that that's news. That's not news. That's commentary. Mm-hmm. That is editorializing. Same thing on Fox. Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity. They're not. I mean, yes, they could be journalists. But when you're watching their show, you're watching to hear their opinion. They're editorializing. They are commenting on what they see. Now, whether any of these characters or players, you know, Rachel Maddow or whoever are right or wrong, that is up to people to discern, is this person selling me a narrative? why? What is their motivation behind that? Is what they're telling me true? How do I discover if what they're telling me is true? The video they're showing me makes my eyes believe it's true. Ah, well, they're showing you a video. It must be true. But do you have the whole context of that video? Do you know what happened before that video that we're all outraged about? Do you know what led up to it? Or did you just see the clip and go, oh, because I saw that, this must be true"? Think people think for yourself. And I think this is the biggest problem that we have today is that people easily buy a narrative and um, they don't want to think for themselves, especially because of cognitive bias, right? If something, a story we're being told fits what we already believe, it's just so, and this is a, this is a problem with human beings, period. It's just so much easier to go, oh, see, orange man, bad. Cause, cause, cause I already believe orange man bad. Um, you're a racist because they told me you're a racist. and Even though you have all the proof to the contrary that you're not here, you know, you must be a racist. And, um, but boy, dare to think for yourself, you know, it's really, really funny. I won't name names, but somebody who's very close to me, um, who I've known for five years now. I've watched her go down rabbit holes like never before. She's not, she doesn't see the world the same way because she's, she's, instead of just buying the narrative of what she's being told, I've seen her go, you know what? This is not what this says or that what they're saying isn't what happened. I'm reading this for myself. They're twisting this. They're reporting this wrong. Why are they? Li-? And so her eyes are opened up like never before and it takes time. Mm. To, to come out of the, you know, for lack of um, a better analogy, outside of the matrix, to take the red pill and have the courage to go, I am willing to accept the truth no matter what the personal cost is to me. And for a lot of people, that personal cost is the loss of of pride, right? it's It's a sense of, wow, admitting when we're wrong, admitting when we've been duped, that's really hard. None of us like to confess that, wow, I got taken. I I remember when I was a young man, I moved from, uh, I graduated University of Illinois in Champaign, and right after college, I moved to Dallas, Texas, and I had some friends that were there, and I became a DJ, and one day, I'm driving in my car, uh, my truck, my Mazda B2200 that I used to haul around my DJ gear, and this guy pulled up to me next in in a van next to me. At a stoplight, and rolled down his window, and he told me he had these speakers, and they were killer, and they were leftovers from the warehouse, and they were, you know, selling them cheap to the first person. I pulled over. I'm like, I'm a DJ. Oh, these are cool speakers. So I bought the speakers. They were crap. When I got them home, of course, you know, I paid cash. There was no receipt for it. I was stuck with them. They were the worst speakers. I had paid ten times what I should have paid for them. Mm. I bought it though, and it was a, a moment of. Um, for me, recognizing don't necessarily believe what people tell you just because they tell you it's easy to get taken. And then my goal then was like, you know what? Don't get taken again. Don't get scammed. And not just financially, don't scam me philosophically. Don't try to scam me intellectually, emotionally. We have to guard our minds and our hearts. Because there are people out there that have motives that are not in your best interest. And I kind of feel like this is becoming the think-for-yourself episode.
1: <laughs> well, it's uh, it's it's good advice. And I wanted to uh, wrap up with one other idea, completely different, but it was from your book. And it's related to this pandemic. You didn't realize it, but in this pandemic or this quarantine or whatever you call it, there's been a lot of uh, people and companies that are rethinking what they've been doing. I've heard it described as the great reset. People are saying, why were we doing that? What, what should I have been doing? What, what do I like? And that is why your uh, book, the fun formula has been kind of coming back to me. And in specifically that one concept about breadcrumbs and, in the book, you talk about how our life leaves little breadcrumbs that, when you're looking back, they actually tell you where you should go. And mm-hmm. you said how if you if you think back on the successes you've had, you may is you make notice a, a common thread. You were probably having fun i was wondering if you could explain that notion because i think when i read the book i i then started reflecting back on the things that i did well as the things i was having fun doing
0: yeah well it's really interesting again there's this mentality out there this hustle and grind idea
1: and the hustle is a dance and grind is what you should be doing to your coffee
0: exactly am i right That's right out of the book, man. Um, I don't buy it. I'm not saying there aren't seasons in your life where, you know, you need to work hard or you need to buckle down um, and, and, and do stuff, especially if you're, you know, you're a single mom and you're you're working to, you know, put a roof over your kids' heads and food in their mouth and clothing on their backs. I'm not saying there aren't times that you've got to really hustle. And grind it out to get it done. But for the most part, those of us living, you know, in the Western world, we get there's choices we get to make. And there's people out there selling you this get up early, stay up late, get, you know, work, 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 if that's what, um, you know, uh if you want to win, work on the weekends while your fool friends are, you know, going out on the boat or whatever. And it's just nonsense. Uh, it's not sustainable as a lifestyle. Um, it's not good for your health, mental or physical, and it doesn't bring you the results that you intend. Only in a very small number of cases do you find that working your butt off really pays off. It's more about doing the projects that are fun for you, that are interesting to you, that provoke your your curiosity, um, and, and trusting the process, trusting the timing on uh, on things to happen at the right time, you know, not trying to force things and, and being willing to take the risk. And so, for me, I look at my 25-year career online, and in one column, I have all the home runs, and I, I classify, I've got about eight major home yeah. runs in my career.
1: And I fart run. would be one of them, right? Yes, Please certainly. tell me
0: yes. Yeah, selling uh, classic games to Yahoo for seven figures back in 1998 was another one. Hitting the New York Times bestseller list, you know, was another one. Um, producing the world's first uh, internet, you know, uh, online internet reality show. that, You know, and so stuff like this. And, but then I've got another column and that column is full of all of the failures and it is a much bigger column. <laughs> Much bigger column. I mean, you you know, the, I, I love um, sharing my failures because they're more instructive than the successes. And they show people that you're more real because we can all relate to failure. But the thing about failure is it doesn't frighten me. I'm okay with it because if I'm having fun doing what I'm doing, for example, I'm working on a project right now with Travis Wright, my co-host for the bad crypto podcast. I'm not going to really talk a lot about what it is, but it's a very ambitious project and we're having a blast doing it. And we're going to launch this project in August. And there's, there's people out there that are haters and they're telling us how it's going to fail and nobody's going to buy it. Uh, and they might be right, but you know what? I don't care because I'm having so much fun doing it. And so uh, when I look at the columns of successes and failures, what I realize is when the, the things I did that ended up leading to the failures, I was working my butt off more for those. And when I look at the things that have succeeded wildly, it took less effort for those wins to happen. And I was having more fun. So that's where I realized, you know what, this is not a a one-off thing, because if it if it was a you know a fluke one-off, all right, that happened, but it's not repeatable. If it happens twice, you start going, hmm, maybe there's something here. But when you see three, four, five, six, seven, eight times, you do start to see not a mathematical formula, but a way of living, a way of approaching life in general that leads to more success in business and more contentment in your your personal life, and that's what the fun formula is all about.
1: Well, it was certainly true uh, for me looking back and uh, daggone it. I hadn't thought of that until I read your book. Are there any other books uh, in uh, Joel Kahn's future at this point? Oh, well, I'm sure there are, but
0: I don't know what they are at this point. You know, it's been suggested because uh, we found some success in the blockchain and cryptocurrency world that um, I do a book about Bitcoin or blockchain. I'm like, you know, that it's changing so fast. Mm-hmm it's one thing to write a book about social media. Um, but, you know, I did three versions of Twitter power, there's not going to be any more Twitter, It everything keeps changing. And by the time your book comes out, um, it's, it, you know, what's the point? Uh, so right now, I find it makes a lot more sense to do the podcast, and to create content, you know, at the speed of sound, as Alex Mendozian calls it. Um, I don't, have any other books on the horizon. I've got 15 in, uh, you know, that are done and out there. The Fun Formula is my most evergreen of the books. It came out mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, but I think it's going to be relevant for, you know, a couple decades to come because it's really, it's not about specific strategies for business as it is specific strategies for life that include your business. And I think uh, applying what's in them uh, is going to encourage and inspire and help somebody no matter where they are in their journey. You know, whether they have a successful business already or whether they want to break free of, you know, the nine to five and uh, and have more fun and satisfaction in their
1: life. Yeah, I can attest to that. Well, Joel Com, I really appreciate the opportunity to spend a little time with you here today on the Marketing Book Podcast special limited series of uh, authors in quarantine getting cocktails. And I hope that you continue to stay safe and healthy and skeptical as ever.
0: <laughs> Thank you, my friend. And uh, to those of you out there that might have taken any offense to anything I said, I'm sorry about your feelings. Uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't mean I don't care about you. doesn't mean I don't love you. Um, you know, you are responsible for your reality in your world. Now I encourage you to question everything, regardless of what the personal risk might be to you for doing so.